You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. That is the Apostles' Creed. We're going to do four weeks on the Apostles' Creed, I believe we're calling it. If we have interest and you all love it, We'll take some extra time and we can go through it, maybe six weeks, if there's things in there you really want to talk about. Uh, but we're doing this sermon series. I believe if you have any questions or comments or answers to questions that I pose, please send them. We can make this a dialogue instead of a monologue. But imagine yourself 1,800 years ago. The year is 200. You want to become a Christian. You want to get baptized and enter the family of faith. Here's what would happen. You would have about 60 days of teaching. They called this catechesis. You had to learn about the faith. And then on the night before Easter, Easter Eve, you would stay up all night with your mentors and your pastors and your confessors, and you would pray and you would read scripture and you would read sacred text and you would pray and you would pray and you would pray. And then when the sun came up, you would walk out to the baptismal font or the river or some cave full of water behind you and you would take off all your clothes, buck naked, let your hair down, take off all your jewelry, because you're about ready to be born again. And just as you came into the world, this is how you're going to come into the faith. Obviously, women with women and men with men. And you would enter the water. And as you stood there, your pastor would ask you, do you believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth? And you would proclaim, I believe. Hit you with some water. The same thing about Jesus. The same thing about the Holy Spirit. And then you would come out of the water the third time, enter into the church where everyone was waiting to celebrate Easter, and you would take communion for the first time. I love almost every early depiction of baptism, people are naked. It's weird to us. We're not doing that. I'm not trying to move us back to that, y'all. But there was so much happening in these early baptisms. And the way you came into the faith and the way that you affirmed you wanted to be baptized was that you would uh, agree to this thing called the creed, the Apostles' Creed, the earliest one. So let's take some time to talk about it, why these are important, what do we think is going on, what do we actually believe. I'm going to tell you right up front, the creeds are it for me. This is how we define what a Christian is. This is how we understand our faith in its most simplest form. I I will go so far to say that if someone can't affirm the creed, then I don't think they're part of the family of faith. Because we have scripture, and man, this is it for us. I mean, scripture really is it. God's word is the ultimate authority of our life. But so many different people that are not Jesus followers read this book and come up with different interpretations. 
We need a rule. They call it the rule of faith. We need a way to read it. How do we read the scripture in a way that brings us closer to Jesus? And the church has always said it's these things called the creeds. They are for us the boundaries of our faith. They are the thing that guides us into truth. The way we talk about it is is a little bit like baseball. There's a field, and if you've never seen it or been a part of it, you wouldn't know what's going on, but you know that there's these markers down the side, and they create the boundaries for us. They, they tell us what is in play and what is not in play, right? They tell us where, the, where we can play in the grass. This is what the creeds do for us. They create the boundaries for us to keep us in bounds, in what we believe about the faith, about the universe, about the church, about who we are, about who Jesus is. And the oldest creed is called the Apostles' Creed. It comes... I mean, from the middle of the 100s. So we, it, I mean, it's very old. But there are other ones, and we weren't going to get into those. But let me tell you, they come about in the 300s and then some in the 400s. There really are about four creeds that I think all Christians should know. You should at least read them once in your life. Some of them are very dense, and you need a philosophy degree to understand them. But they are what we believe about God. And us affirming these creeds is how we belong to the family of faith. But it's not just a statement of faith or belief. These creeds operated as something more, something deeper. It was more like a pledge of allegiance. It was more like us declaring that we were part of what God is doing in the world It was us declaring that this is the story. This is the story that makes sense of the universe, that makes sense of our life, that makes sense of what is going on all around us, how we understand other people, how we understand ourselves. Like if I said, hey, would you stand, salute, pledge, you know what to do after that, right? Uh, The church had one that said, let us profess now our faith received from ancient times. And they would say these creeds together that would define who they are and what's going on in the world around them. Originally, they were called symbols because it was thought to be something you wore. It was thought to be part of your identity. It was part, thought to be part of, of who you are in Jesus. And so they didn't call them creeds. They called them symbols because it was more than just a statement of words that you said is true. It, it defined our reality and our identity and our theology. These were ways we ordered our lives and our stories and the universe. Most Christians in history, including to this day, said them every day as part of their devotional practice, reading scripture, praying, and most Christians would say them to themselves. And most Christian churches throughout history would say them every Sunday together. And I'm going to have us do that today. You can if you want, no pressure. Here's St. Augustine talking about how often we should say the symbol or the creed, he called him the symbol. But in your minds and hearts, you must keep it ever present. 
You must repeat it in your beds, recall it in the public squares, and not forget it during meals. You say it with your family, you say it at work, you say it when you're laying down by yourself and sleeping. He said, say it all the time, this, this thing called the creed. Because it was more than just a, a, a list of words that describe what's going on. It was, it was core to who we are and who we believe Jesus is. So here's the creed. We heard it read. But just so you know, we're going to, there's, there's really three articles. It begins each one, I believe. Uh, and then there's another one, I believe, right there. And then there's another one, I believe. We're going to take four weeks and go over these three different articles. But it's this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, descended to the dead, or to hell, depending on the tradition you come from. I hope I piqued your interest. What's going on right there? On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. The old version says the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic means universal. It doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It just means we believe in the church universal. The communion of the saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of our bodies, and the life everlasting. Today, let's do this. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You know how we preach? Head, heart, hand. Something for us to know, something for us to feel, and something for us to do. And so we're going to do that again today. Based on that section, based on God's word, based on this creed, what does God want us to know? What is God, and what is that knowledge, how does that knowledge impact us? How, do, how is that... Uh, something that we experience, that truth, what does it mean personally for us, and then what are we supposed to do with it? What does God want us to know is this. Good Christians affirm the goodness of creation. Good Christians affirm the goodness of creation. Did you see these images that came out a couple weeks ago? The James Webb telescope. I don't know why some guy gets his name on this thing, and we got to call it that the whole time, though he does have an incredible first name. I can't deny the James Webb. is a new telescope. It, Hubble's out there crushing it, but Hubble's old, so we got a new one, and it's, it's great. It is killing it. It is seeing to the depths of space, and the first image comes back, and it is Mind-blowing. So everything with horns on it, those are stars, those are suns in our galaxy in the Milky Way. Everything without horns is a whole other galaxy. Each galaxy has about 100 billion stars, and each one of those stars has at least one planet on average. Our star has how many planets? If you count Pluto, which in this church we count Pluto. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> when I was a kid, we counted Pluto. Officially, there's eight. If you count Pluto, there's nine. Most stars have at least, on average, one. So these are suns, stars, our stars. And these are other galaxies with 100 billion to 400 billion planets in them. 
Let me zoom in real quick. The ones that warp, it's because there's a black hole. It's not because of the camera. It blows my mind. And this part of the sky is if you held a grain of sand at arm's length. This part. If you held a grain of sand at the sky, that's what that covers. We believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. Good Christians affirm the goodness of creation. As I said, this is what God wants us to know, that God is the maker of heaven and earth. Heaven here is an old word for the skies. Sometimes when we think about it, we think about it, that spiritual realm where God exists primarily. But that's not what it means. It's the cosmos. It's the universe. We believe that God created it and that it's good. This is what the first page of the Bible tells us. God saw everything he had made. It was very good, supremely good. The Hebrew says, good, good. Every day God created and God said it was good. And on the sixth day when God finished creation, he said it was good, good. It is very good. We affirm the goodness of creation because we believe everything, John 1 tells us, came into being through the word who is Jesus Christ. And without Jesus, nothing came into being. By faith, we understand, this is Hebrews 11, that the universe has been created by a word from God. Good Christians are from the goodness of creation. Why is this important for us to say? I mean, we have been around this text for a long time. We know this, but this defined us right up top in the beginning, and it defined who we believed about, what we believed about God. First, it sets God apart from the other gods. All these other stories had gods that were mean, awful, vindictive, warring, hurtful. And all these other cultures had, had stories about creation where, where, where everything came into being because the gods were mad or upset or needed slaves or, or needed somebody to help fight the war of the gods. That is not what we believe. We said right off the bat, that creation is good and that God made it with a word because our God is almighty and what God makes is good. And God did it by himself and he did it because of love, right? That's our answer, number two, to why there is something rather than nothing. Why is there something why is there an earth or creation or a universe or humanity? Why is there something rather than nothing? And again, all these other cultures came up with all these stories. All these other cultures came up. There was a Babylonian story that said this god Marduk needed soldiers 
to fight the other gods, and so he created humanity. And their creation story is that we were created to be slave soldiers. That says something about humanity. Even today, there there are people that have uh, cultural stories about how the world was created. And it it means something about what what they believe about themselves. What we said, we believe, is that God, out of God's goodness and love, spilled that love over out of God's self, and it created creation with just a word. The Almighty God holds all of creation in his hands, and it is good, and we are good. Originally, God created us to be image bearers of God, and we are good. And then lastly, this is our answer to the problem of evil. We talked about this two weeks ago. We talked about this too. Why is there evil? Where does evil come from? What do we do with evil? The Christian answers that everything that was created came from God. Nothing that was created did not come from God. And so where does evil come from? Evil comes from us not living into the goodness that God planned and desired for us. It's us rejecting that goodness. It's us rejecting the way of God. It isn't like uh, there's Satan and there's God and they're equally powerful and they're fighting and we're just trying to figure out who's going to win. That's other religion stuff. Right? Even our concept of who our spiritual enemy is, the devil or Satan, God created the devil to be an angel of light, to be in heaven and to reflect the heavenly goodness Evil for us comes down to us rejecting the goodness that God desires for us. There's evil in the world because we have not lived up to what God has called us to. So that's why good Christians affirm the goodness of God right off the bat. Where does it come from? Who made it? We believe in God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. There isn't some God war going on. There isn't some anger happening where God created the world out of anger because God was, you know, whatever. Out of God's own love, creation came into existence. And God created us to be the pinnacle of creation as divine image bearers of God himself. That's what we proclaim right up top. That's what we have to believe, at least in part, to be followers of this Jesus. What does God want us to feel in the midst of this? This little section in the creed about our declaration about who God is. The creed tells us that when we look into the cosmos, we find a father. When we look into the vast expanse of the universe trying to find God, God reveals God's self to us as Father. I believe in God, the Father. That's what Christians came up with when they wanted to summarize their faith and when they wanted to talk about God. What's the first thing you need to know about God? That God is fatherly. This is what Jesus reveals to us about God. 
Jesus says, my father and your father, my God and your God. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our father. Jesus says then later, your father. Paul tells us later, all who are led by God's spirit are God's daughters and sons. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery that led you back into fear again, but you received a spirit that shows that you are adopted as his children, and it is with this spirit we are able to cry, Abba, Father. When Christians want to define who God is, the first descriptor they want to give us is Father. That's what God wants us to experience when we talk about God. Yes, maker of heaven and earth, also Father. There's this great psalm that says he has named each star. He knows each star by name, and he binds up the brokenhearted. Maker of heaven and earth, Abba Father. This is what Jesus reveals to us. The God of the universe is the God we call Father. When we are in Christ, God Almighty, I don't I mean look it, it's a typo. My apologies. God Almighty becomes God the Father. I was reading a story about John W. Fountain. He was uh, he is a journalist. Now he's a professor professor of journalism. Uh, and he got to be part of a, an a, a essay collection through NPR about faith. And they got all kinds of different leading voices to talk about faith. Some people said faith is awful. Some people said faith is whatever you feel, spirituality. And John W. Fountain, he got to write about his story. And his story is this. He grew up in Chicago, and he had an abusive father who was an alcoholic. And one night, uh, his dad was on another bender, getting ready to abuse his mom again. And his mom finally called the police. And his dad was hauled away, and he was just a kid. And he never saw his dad again. His dad went to jail, got out of jail, abandoned his family, and just became an alcoholic. Just lived into it until he died in a drunk driving accident. And John W. Fountain writes this essay in this collection about faith, and he talks about God becoming his father. He, he says, it's the God who embraced me. And the reason I thought this was profound is because he uses creed language is what we're going through. He says, I believe in God. Not that cosmic, that God is, you know, he says, not the intangible spirit in the sky that mama told me about as a little boy who always was and always will be, but the, the God who embraced me when my dad didn't. He says he experienced God as father, and it made all the difference. The part I love here is he says, I believe in God, God the Father, embodied in his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's creed language. And he, and he took that creed, and it made an impact on his life in such a way that he was able to find a father when he was fatherless. That is what Christianity has said about God and wants us to experience about God, that God is Father. There are two things that prevent us 
from living into this God as Father situation. One is sometimes we think that means God is male. And the other one is our own earthly fathers. Let me dispel any rumors. God is not male. God created male and female in his likeness. Each one represents part of God. In fact, the early Christians, and I don't even have time to read all these, the early Christians went through this. They said, if you think about father and you think about male, you've done it wrong. He says, do you take it that our God is male because the masculine nouns, this is, this is Gregory of Nyssa in the 300s, just because the, God, just because the nouns God and father are male? Do you think Godhead is female just because those words in the Greek are female? He goes on and on. Every bodily thought must be shunned, Athanasius says. If you think of father and you think of bodies, you're doing it wrong. Shun those. What the early church wants us to know about this father language is it's purely relational. Father makes son, and son makes father. A father must have a son to be a father, and a son must have a father to be a son. When you hear these words, it's about relationship. First, we know that God is father because he has the only begotten son, Jesus Christ. But also we know that God is father because that's how God wants to relate to us. Not as some distant cosmic deity, clockmaker who set everything into motion, but close, like a parent. The second hang-up to father is our earthly fathers. Some of our earthly fathers were not great. Some of these men have done horrific things. That need to be judged and condemned and that we need to be healed from. And some of them were just ordinary dudes doing their best, imperfect as they are. And either way, when we talk about God as Father, our instinct is to sometimes think about fathers and how imperfect they are. But I know that you know that God is almighty and perfectly wise and God still chose that title even knowing the imperfection of earthly fathers. That God still wanted to use that messy word because there's something about it that conveys the type of God that we worship. Jesus has a parable about this. He says, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, right? If your son or daughter comes to you and says, I want some fish to eat, and you're like, here's a snake. Or if they're like, I want some eggs to eat, and you're like, here's a scorpion. He's like, you don't do that. And if you earthly, not very good fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more does our heavenly father love us, and know what to give us. Scripture is keenly aware that we have broken, broken parents in our life. But God still chooses that word because that's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. The Pope, Pope Francis. I enjoy Pope Francis very much. He says this, The entire mystery of Christian prayer is summed up here in these words. To have the courage to call God by the name Father. 
this is what we Christians say that we want to experience when we talk about God, it's Father. What does God want us to do? Last point. If you have any questions, send them. Have faith that is measured by your life, not just by your lips. Yeah? Isn't that what we want all people of faith to do? Have a faith that's measured by your life and not just by your lips. But this is what the creed compels us to do, to believe. I believe. That's the first words. I believe. But we don't just mean it as a statement of words that you have to agree to. We want you to live it. We want this thing to, to, to be the framework that you hang your whole life story on. Jesus says, don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Scripture calls us to believe. The creed calls us to believe. And the size of our faith is determined by the size of our God. And our God is God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who we experience as Father. Yeah? So in the face of the mysteries of life, we are invited to make Jesus' story our reality, not just assent or affirm or agree to a list of words, but to make this thing uh, the, the, the thing that we hang our whole story on. But this faith isn't blind. It's not blind faith. I'm not asking you to believe in something that you can't experience. In fact, I believe wholeheartedly that we can experience the God of the universe as revealed in Jesus Christ. In fact, I've hung my whole career on it. I'm here because I believe that we can experience the God of the universe as Father. And Christians believe that too. We aren't just asking people to accept blind faith. My daughter, let me just say that. All my kids hate anything tomato except pizza sauce, ketchup, and salsa for some reason. I'm like, that's the most tomato, but they eat that. But they won't eat tomato soup. They won't eat, uh, what? Just raw tomatoes, BLT. I can't, I mean, I just, oh, spaghetti sauce? They don't like spaghetti sauce. I'm like, what kid doesn't eat spaghetti sauce? That's like the whole thing. Other parents are sneaking other things into spaghetti sauce. My kids are like, I don't, can you just give me buttered noodles? And I'm like, Bleh. But I tried, finally convinced my daughter. I was like, listen, if you like pizza sauce. You're going to love a grilled cheese and tomato soup. And she was like, a whole soup of tomatoes? And I was like, no, listen, if you like pizza sauce. <laughs> now she loves it. She asked for it all the time. She tasted it, loved it. I'm like, it's 150 degrees outside. We're not making tomato soup. I'll hit you up in November. But she's like, can we have tomato soup for lunch? I was like, no, we can't. She loves it after she tasted it. Same thing happened to me as a kid. My, they were like, oh, man, you're going to love seafood. Have you ever had fried chicken? Get some of these fried shrimp. And I'm like, oh, seafood, oh, no, I don't want to. And then I ate it with tartar sauce. And I was like, this is the most delicious thing I've ever had. And now all I want is seafood all the time. But, I, you know, I don't have the budget for it. This is the kind of last one. Candy corn looks so good. 
And then I eat three pieces, and I'm like, why did I do that again this year? This is terrible. I hate this. Ooh, I hear some groans out there. We don't have a faith that, that, that Christians ask us to accept as blind faith. They really do believe that we can experience the God of the universe in a way that resembles Father. This is what Scripture tells us, to taste and see how good the Lord is. We have people telling us that this dish is good. The chef is telling us, I made it, it's so good. That people are telling us, it, it tastes like other food that you love. But only you can taste and see there's an invitation to, to take the step into tasting, into seeing. But also this verse tells us that we can experience, this is not blind faith, that we really can walk the way of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and see that it is good and see that God meets us right where we are and gives us the grace and forgiveness and love and peace that we so desire. Taste and see. The creed invites us to, to take the basics of our faith and move that into a taste and see kind of way where we let it shape our whole reality. And with that, I am wrapping up. If you have any questions, send them. And if you don't, let's pray. I don't see any. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we can dive into this ancient collection of words and see how it shaped their life. Out of all that stuff, Lord, about you being the maker and about us believing, we really just desire that, that we would experience you in a profound way. That we, like all the Christians that have come before us, would experience you in a way that is fatherly that provides and guides and gives wisdom and encouragement and unconditional love. And when we experience that, everything else will fall into place. Belief, uh, declarations about your ability to make all of heaven and earth. We just desire to experience you, your love, And since you promised to give that to us, we will wait and we will continue down this path and, and we will come to things like communion where you promised to meet us and we will open our scripture and continue to pray because it is there where we meet you and meet that love. And so we just pray that we would experience that in a profound way. Table Church, will you help me in this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours and the, key, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And would you now profess with me the faith that has been handed down to us from ancient of times, saying, I believe in God the Father. Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. 
He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.